0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works yes really works anybody can explain how the world works but how the world really works well that's a different task altogether an entirely more complex level of work and uh, and one superbly suited to your rabbi on the job here on the rabbi daniel lapin show the only show that emits absolutely no high carbon emissions, contributing absolutely nothing to the worst threat facing civilization, climate change. So you will all be relieved to know that we are only making everything better, in no way making it worse. Welcome happy warriors, each and every one of you, uh, dedicated to embracing with joy the challenges of building your families and your finances and your faith and your friendships and your fitness, a joyful challenge it is and one that a happy warrior faces with excitement and happiness. Good to be together with you all today as I think back to um, an extraordinary 40-year period In my mind, I like starting with 1903, 1903, an interesting date, because in December of that year, the Wright brothers flew the first heavier than air machine for flying. The very first airplane flew in December 1903. By the way, the flight was 120 feet long. (laughs) that's that's how far the very first airplane flight was so 1903 now how about 1943 jump 40 years ahead 40 years ahead and we go from a 120 foot first flight on the sand dunes of Kitty Hawk North Carolina and uh, we go from there 40 years is all it took And we get ourselves to the B-29 bomber. The B-29 was a four-engine bomber that um, dropped the atomic bombs that ended World War II in the Pacific. Um, The B-29 was such an advanced machine that it flew operationally all the way into the 1960s, for sure, maybe a bit longer than that, but I know for sure into the 60s. So, this was a machine that flew in 1943, and uh, so only 40 years after the very first flight, here we have a four-engine bomber with remote-controlled machine gun turrets, fully pressurized, could fly above the weather, and with retractable undercarriage. It's a remarkable thing. It's truly a remarkable thing. Think about it. With all the technological prowess that Nazi Germany had at its disposal, you know, don't forget they were building rocket-driven missiles, the V2, for instance, um, with which to bomb England into submission. And yet, with all their prowess, Nazi Germany was not successful in building a four-engine bomber. It's not a simple matter. Even the Russians stole the b-29 design in order to build their tupolev four-engine bomber i mean it was it was clearly uh, there was no question about it it's not uh, that it looks similar it's identical and uh, because it's such a challenge to have done this in in 1943 nonetheless uh, during that period Uh, 4,000 of these things were built. Now, just to give you an idea of scale here, first of all, the wingspan from one tip of the wing to the other tip of the wing is like 140 feet. So the first airplane flight of all time was shorter than the wingspan of the B-29 bomber. And the B-29 bombers were being turned out at the rate of four a day. I mean you you know you, you got to think what was adolf hitler thinking when he declared war on america which he did after pearl harbor it's it's madness a country that can create four four engine bombers every day day and night until four thousand of them were produced i mean it, what a country it was, literally it's not surprising that uh america won world war Two, and um this all happened in that 40-year period, 1903 to 1943. That's not the only thing that happened. The George Washington Bridge made the jump over the Hudson River in New York. That bridge was built. Um, The Grand Coulee Dam damming up the Great Columbia River in the state of Washington and generating unprecedented quantities of electricity. Grand Coulee Dam was in that 40-year period. Hoover Dam Hoover Dam that made the Nevada desert go green and made Las Vegas possible. That was built in that 40-year period. Henry Ford. Henry Ford started the very first assembly line for motor cars in the history of the world in 1913. So again, in that 40-year period. All of a sudden, in a way that was unprecedented in the history of mankind, 1913, uh, he's turning out. A car every one and a half hours I mean, it's, today we take these things for granted you know so in 1913 he Henry we're, we're still talking about this 40-year period 1913 uh, all of a sudden a car that used to take a long time to build is being built every hour and a half day and night by 1940 right so within this 40-year period America is building 535 cars an hour. That's right. Nearly 4.7 million cars were built in 1947 in America. And that boils down to 535 cars every hour. Henry Ford created a revolution, right? Um, 20 years, earlier, 20, 27 years earlier, uh, by turning out a car every one and a half hours. Now, by 1940, we're building cars not one every one and a half hours but over 500 every hour day and night so you can this is a pretty remarkable period of time uh, the um, uh, the empire state building and other huge buildings constructed during this period it's pretty amazing let's look at the current 40 year period i'm um, speaking now, I'm recording this program in October 2021, and so 40 years ago was the first year of the Ronald Reagan presidency, 1981. So, we've gone from President Reagan to President Biden in these 40 years. We've gone from negligible debt to $20 trillion of national debt, and the country is already having trouble paying the interest on that debt, Can you imagine what happens if and when interest rates go up? So if you've wondered why interest rates are being kept where they are, it's because the government can't afford to pay any more interest on a $20 trillion debt. Really, it's it's an unenviable situation to be in. Uh, 1981 was when, in the summer of that year, Ronald Reagan broke the strike of PATCO, the um, the union of air traffic controllers this was an incredibly audacious move this was an illegal strike every uh, air traffic controller had signed a pledge upon his employment not to strike and they went on strike quite confident that um, in an area impinging on air traffic safety Uh, they would win, that the the government would yield in exactly the same way as many, many governments since then would have yielded. President Reagan did not yield, and he promptly fired about 10,000 air traffic controllers. The left promised and warned of tremendous dangers and terrible things that were going to happen. Didn't happen at all. He pulled it off, and it had a lot to do with the prosperity that followed because it reduced the power of um, government employee uh, unions why shouldn't government unions have the right to strike well one of the problems is that when a union strikes against a factory it's a clear-cut conflict between the factory owners and the union and um, the, the the factory can decide what's in its best interest the union can decide what's in its best interest the factory has to recognize obviously that by acceding to union requests for more money they are going to have to uh, pay more and therefore charge more for their product so there is a clear and an understood uh, level of of conflict that is legitimate But when a government employee union strikes, they are simply asking for more money from their employers who are the government, who already believe that they can get as much as they want by tightening the screws on the overstressed American taxpayer. And so it makes sense that that should not be possible because you want the people who are going to accede to the union's demands to feel some pain in exactly the way that a shareholder or the owner of a company or of a factory that gets striked um, can say, yeah, you know what, I'm sorry, we can't afford to pay But a government can never, will never say to a union, oh, you're going to have to just eat it because we're not going to pay you more. Governments have no trouble, and this is one of the reasons. And I don't know if you all know this, but... uh, in general, around the United States of America, uh, government employees are making about 60% on average more than they could possibly make in the private sector. So it's it's pretty good to be able to get a government job, let alone the job security that comes from that. Right? It's very nice. So, um, you know, but these things are not without costs. The trouble is that the people handing out the gifts and the largesse and the raises and the easing up of working conditions are not the people who have to pay the price. And so uh, this 40-year period from 1981 to 2021, a very different time. Talking of unions, this is when the period where we got the um, TSA, right? You know what TSA stands for, right? Terminally... um, uh, 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 terminal stages of a failed marriage. Just like a terminal stage of a failed marriage, which has too much intimacy and too much hostility, uh, that's a pretty good definition of anyone who's traveled and had to endure the rudeness and intrusiveness of the TSA. So there was something, that, right? 50,000, uh, more than 50,000 new unionized employees, What a terrible way to deal with the aftermath of 9-11. But it's exactly what happened. So essentially, uh, the 40-year period from 1903 to 1943 showed the growth of America, showed where America was going and why America was reaching these extraordinary levels of achievement. But the most recent 40-year period, 1981 to 2021, Uh, a very different story, a story that seems to um, highlight a very serious decline in America. Essentially, what I call an avalanche of totalitarianism is what's really happening. And so uh, what is to be done? And is there a way out? Is there a solution here? I think there is. And I do want to explain it. But first, I want to give you some very good news for you and very good news for me and that is you some of you will remember that um, a few months ago when we launched my verse by verse through the bible program it's called Scrolling through scripture it's an online course uh, we also introduced what I called with uh, <laughs> with a certain degree of um, inexcusable. Um, uh, grandiosity and obnoxious self-promotion i called it rabbi daniel lapin's recommended bible but not in a spirit of self-promotion uh, but in a spirit of response to one of the questions that i get more frequently than any other which is what bible do you recommend and it's a very very tough question uh, and i've explained why it is but uh, but we finally did come up with a Bible that I felt comfortable recommending. The trouble is that it was not that easy to get our hands on it. We did not publish it, and we were dependent on people in Israel and uh, elsewhere, and we ran out very quickly. Uh, they just they sold like hotcakes, and people came back wanting to get more as gifts, and they were all gone. And so it took us a while to—we uh, uh, literally had to get them reprinted. And uh, we've done that. And the cool thing about this Bible is, first of all, whilst no translation is 100% correct, this is as good a translation as you can get. Secondly, the graphical layout of the text, and by the way, one page is Hebrew, the other opposite page is English, and... um, even if you don't read hebrew a lot of the times when i'm teaching i give a reference and i show you the word and i tell you where that word is and i give you the page of this recommended bible and i give the line number and the word number and then you can actually see because as you know when i teach scrolling through scripture I teach you how to interpret Hebrew in terms of almost mathematical-like abstract symbols rather than necessarily the letters as in almost every other language on the planet. And Hebrew allows interpretation on a totally different level. So uh, it's nice to be able to actually see the Hebrew word. Number two, the graphic layout, the, the way the words and the columns and the pages are laid out is exactly like a real Torah scroll. Um, the paragraphs are really important, paragraph breaks. Well, you can see them. Another thing that's interesting is that uh, the names are given in the Hebrew pronunciation, not the English, which is to say that um, Moses is in Hebrew, Moshe and uh and so you can actually see in this recommended bible uh he's not written as m o s e s but m o s h e and so it is with um uh jonah and jacob and um and every other biblical name they are pronounced uh, authentically which is helpful and uh and so it's um it's just a really nice bible i use it for my own private study and I also use it for teaching. So the good news is the Bible is back in stock, but uh, we have a limited number. I mean, obviously, you know, we had to figure out how many to order and we made our best guess, but uh, but it's not limitless. So if you do want to get a couple of these, one for you, one for somebody else or whatever, um, you need to go and do that right away. So head over to rabbidaniellappin.com, rabbidaniellappin.com, head over to the store And uh, go to the Rabbi Daniel app and Recommended Bible. So uh, there it is. You'll love it. So um, what is the solution? Is there a solution? Well, let me uh, explain something that's happening. Yes, we are being overwhelmed by an avalanche of totalitarianism. Um, It is apparently worse in the United States than in many other countries right now. It's pretty bad in much of Europe. It's pretty bad in the United Kingdom, but um, it is going to affect everybody. If for no other reason then totalitarianism eventually brings down the economy of every country in which it's tried, and in one way or another, with the, the very tight integration of the world economies at the moment no matter where you live and I I look at my wonderful map um, plugged so heavily with pins representing listeners in so many different countries and thank you all for writing and telling me where you're listening from I really do get a kick out of it and uh, and so wherever you are uh, yes there will be an impact as this deterioration sets in there is no question uh, it is happening At the same time, I also want to tell you that uh, Christianity is growing at an unprecedented rate. So here you've got two competing forces. These are incompatible forces. They can't both win. There is not room in the world for both of them, and only the culture of one will ultimately dominate in any particular society. Uh, since its founding, America has been a Judeo-Christian-based country where the entire value system has been based on biblical understanding, and um, and uh, there are other countries where that is not the case, and these two views are, are not compatible. So what is going to be happening in the United States? Well, it's certainly heading toward a showdown, but the interesting thing is that um, the fertility rate among Americans who are Bible-believing Americans, and that means religious Jews, it means uh, uh, evangelical Christians, it means many Roman Catholics, it means many Latter-day Saints people. This demographic is reproducing at a healthy rate we people, us, all of us that I'm talking about, I consider myself in that group, um, we're all having two, three, four children, sometimes more. The reproductive rate among America's secular liberals, the fertility rate, is way below um the uh, replacement rate of 2.1 as a matter of fact for america overall it's 1.6 well below replacement and since there's so many people who are doing more than their fair share uh, you can only assume that the fertility rate for the secular liberal uh, community for the socialist leaning community my guess i don't know 0.8 0.9 somewhere there honestly and so so that's a real thing. The growth of Christianity in China is a very, very real phenomenon. There are now more Christians in China than there are members of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the growth of Christianity in Africa, now Africa is reproducing at a high rate, but Christianity is growing at a far higher rate, which means that it's not just natural growth, but it's actually through acceptance people becoming christian very interesting phenomenon so this is very real this is happening not only in the united states but it's happening worldwide and uh, i'm i'm not a christian i'm a jew but i couldn't be more overjoyed by this news because whilst there have been times in the world's history when it has been Jew and Christian against one another, what we have today is Bible believers and, on the other side, those who would like to destroy the very civilization that the Bible has built. And so, uh, when I speak to you, happy warriors, and I speak about the five Fs, and I say, please, focus diligently on your families on your finances on your physical fitness obviously on your friendships and on your faith and some of you say well you know what rabbi i'm i'm just not that religious and i say that's like somebody saying to me you know i'm i'm just not very fit rabbi you know i know that physical fitness is is one of the 5f's but you know i'm just i i'm my f is fat not fit i mean i'm just you know I say, well, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Come along. You've, you've, you've got to do something about it. Start small, but you've got to start fixing up your body. It's the only one you got. And in any event, it's not yours. God lends it to you for 120 years. It's not yours. And so you have to look look after it, right? You have no right to abuse a rental car. I mean, many people do, but they're wrong. Morally speaking, you have to look after a car that you rent, just as if it's yours. That's the deal. That's the moral deal. So it's what we have to do with our bodies, obviously, right? Uh, somebody says to me, Rabbi, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, you, I know friendship is, is one of your five S, but I'm a introverted sort of person. I just don't really care to spend time with people. I like being by myself. I say, you're sick, pal. Get over it it's not good to be alone. It isn't. Solitary confinement is is not a reward for hard work. It's a torture. (laughs) You've got to, you're not doing well if you're alone. You've got to interact with other people. So fix yourself up. And so in a way, I say the same thing, you know, and and I mean, I've got no dog in this race, so I'm just trying to be helpful here. But I say the same thing about faith. So, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a, such a religious person, so this one isn't for me. You're making a big mistake because it is uh, tightly integrated with the other four Fs, and uh, they all help one another. You're leaving a great and debilitating vacuum in your effort package if the F of faith is completely absent. And uh, I've spoken to a number of, of people in this category lately, and and I always say, so tell me this, you know, why why is it, why is it that you feel awkward about faith? Like, do you feel self conscious trying to talk to God? I mean, give it a shot, you know. I, I think, I, in my view, it's always more effective and, frankly, easier to find a worship community, a great church or a good synagogue that you feel comfortable in. You like the people, you like the leadership, and then go there and try and talk to God. I mean, how, how terrible can this be, right? This is, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to run a mile in, in four minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, I, I Just... Just try it, you know. But I ask people, why is it so hard for you, right? Why is it though you would never say to me, oh, Rabbi, you know, I'm just an introverted guy. I'm, I'm not going to be able to talk to people. No, you do. You know you must. And you do. Or if I, you know, oh, I'm just a fat guy I don't really care much about. I like sitting on the couch watching television. You wouldn't say that because you know this is helpful. So, you know, if, if I can effectively help you understand that uh, faith is an essential part of the whole package and why wouldn't you try it right and i finally found the answer i know why people don't want to try it i absolutely know and it was a huge breakthrough for me when i finally understood this when enough people explained it to me that it penetrated my head and i i got it. okay now i got it i said and uh, it was very helpful for me and i'm sure it it'll be for you as well and um, and that is that there is one particular argument that people say and i'm not saying in debate uh, but to themselves inside their own heads and you may be one of the people who thinks this to yourself why can i not talk to god and one of the things that we say is how can i believe in a god who is supposed to be all good and all powerful and yet allows such painful and sad things to happen in his world on one level or another that is what many people hear playing in their heads maybe not specifically articulated in this way but nonetheless expressed in one way or another i mean you know i don't get it is god all really all good and all powerful you know have have you never seen a child dying of cancer um, you know have you never been to parts of the world places in india where people have wretched lives have you never been to parts of africa where uh, illness spreads where they have bilharzia parasites in the water i mean what sort of god lets that happen or you know have you have you never heard of of the the beautiful devoted mom of three young children who tragically becomes ill and passes away or the young father who has an accident what sort of god lets these things happen and meanwhile you look around and there are these uh, pretty awful people who seem to be having pretty fine lives i'm sorry you know this you know if that's what god is then i'm not sure how i'd want to have any sort of relationship with him and so my friends um i thought that although i like focusing on all the five f's I thought that today it would be good for me to spend a few minutes on this topic, on the faith side of it specifically, because unlike the other four, this one is harder to wrap yourself around. People who would never dream of rejecting the uh, importance of finance are comfortable rejecting the importance of faith because they see it in a different light in the way that i've described you know if if god is good why is there so much evil in the world must be either this god is not all powerful and all this evil just happens or he is in which case he's not good but he can't be good and all powerful surely because i mean just look around you know how much sadness there is in the world and so i would like to um, address this. This, by the way, it's, this is not a huge enigma. I've, I have to tell you, uh, it's not a massive problem. It's, uh, I suppose, comparable. You know, to to the question that children sometimes ask, which is, if the world is turning, and if you happen to live near the equator, it's moving pretty quickly, twenty four thousand miles an hour. No. I'm sorry, that's not correct, Uh, more like a thousand miles an hour, uh, which is still pretty quick. Uh, The circumference of the world is 24,000 miles approximately, and uh, it turns around one full revolution in 24 hours, and so it does about a thousand miles an hour if you're on the equator. And so uh, uh, the the children say, well, if it's moving that quickly and I jump up in the air, I should come down in a different place because... The earth would have moved under me while I was in the air, and the answer is not a complex. This is not a. This is not a great question. You know, you only have to know a little bit about uh, motion and the physics of motion to be able to, <laughs> first of all, understand why you come down in the same place when you jump in the air, and number two, even to be able to explain it, you know, to a child of, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven. By that age, easily should be able to explain it. It's it's not a huge question, my friends. Um, not meaning to sound uh, supercilious in any way at all, God forbid. Um, but this question is not a very complicated question, and the uh, the number of people who feel tormented by this question how can god be good and all-powerful because it's there's too many bad things happening so either he's not good or he's not powerful that question is the equivalent of why do i not land in a different place when i jump in the air? in other words you got to know a little bit of the physics emotion to answer the question and similarly over here you just have to know a little bit of the bible god's message to mankind in order to understand this question right it's just it's not that big a problem and so let me do my best to explain it to you so uh, in the bible which i call god's message to mankind you'll find that uh, there are many positive commandments and many negative commandments and so uh Uh, a positive commandment, for instance, would be to give charity, which, you know, we find in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Um, And then we've got uh, negative commandments, like, for instance, uh, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, uh, you know, we have, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Uh, Another positive one is the fifth one, you know, honor your father and your mother. So there are sometimes that God says you must do these things, and there's other things that He said, no, you mustn't do those things. Now, the first two commandments to humanity from God were positive ones. Take a look at them in chapter one, verse twenty-eight. Um, God says, "Be fruitful and multiply." Now, in my Scrolling Through Scripture course, which I'd like you to read about on the website, and, um, and you'll see there in that course, I explain that the Bible does not use literary flourishes or poetic duplications. And that although the King James translators in the 17th century selected the words in English be fruitful and multiply for the Hebrew pru uravu, I explain in scrolling through scripture that this is actually teaching the dual function of physical intimacy in marriage. Number one, obviously, reproduction is one aspect of it, but the other aspect is the ecstasy that God makes available for a married couple, bringing to one another the greatest sensual pleasure available to human beings. And so when God says God makes them male and female, which, by the way, is precisely why the secular liberal culture is so intent on destroying the distinction between male and female and eroding it away to nothingness is precisely because right here in the Bible, it says male and female, God created them and so their desire is to undo all of the biblical biblical principles underlying western civilization or i should just say civilization period it's not as if there's any other civilization if there were people would be trying to flock to that but there isn't because they don't and so um, the the statement is be fruitful and multiply that's the english translation of the hebrew uh, which which actually says um become one unify so as you can have children and that you can bring joy to one another then the second positive commandment comes in chapter 2 verse 16 where uh, God says, okay, puts Adam in the garden of Eden, lots and lots of wonderful trees and the, uh, the Hebrew words are ahol. you must of all the trees in the garden excepting the special tree in the middle, of all the trees in the garden and I, again let me give you the King James translation, you shall surely eat. Once again, the Lord's language does not engage in literary flourishes or poetic license and duplication. Uh, This is talking about two different kinds of eating. And again, I explain this in the Scrolling Through Scripture program unit number one. And... uh, And I explained that there's two kinds of eating. There's eating physically and eating spiritually. And if you eat only physically, you are going to overeat and become obese because you are seeking a satisfaction that can only be attained through a um, a parallel spiritual satiation. I explained that at greater length there. But for now... Uh, the the part I want you to be able to to grasp and, and to fully relate to is that uh, so far in our getting to know the Creator, He's only had positive commandments. Okay? Um, be fruitful and multiply, and you know that that's not the real meaning. And eat, you shall surely eat, and you know that that's not the real meaning. But One has to do with the appetite for food, one has to do with the appetite for sex, and they are being treated in in a very positive kind of a way. What is the very first negative that we find? What's the very first time we see God saying, no, this is so important that uh, if you are among the fortunate people using the Rabbi Daniel and recommended Bible, uh, turn to page six and seven. Page six is the Hebrew. Page seven is the English. We're looking at chapter two, verse eighteen. Now, if you count down lines from the top of the Hebrew page, go down fifteen lines, and then if you look at the words, remember Hebrew goes from right to left. So count this. Look at the second, third, fourth, and fifth words. Lord Adam It's not good for man to be alone this is the first negative we encounter and uh, what's going on here well um, again unless one has access to the ancient jewish wisdom one can easily fall into the trap of assuming that here god is talking specifically about adam being single but if that were so, the very next verse would be, oh, and God put Adam under anesthesia, made him go to sleep, and God, uh, and there there came Eve. No, it's not. There's another verse altogether. So, um, this verse, not good for man to be alone, page six, 15th line in the Hebrew, uh, not good. For, it's very important. It's the first negative commandment that God gives to humanity. And he's saying, It's not good for people to be disconnected from one another. Now, here is uh, an important juxtaposition. In the same way that there are uh, specific incentives, as it were, that God gives on the positive side, there are also disincentives that he gives on the negative side. On the positive side, you remember he said, uh, uh, "I, uh, uh, you know, I, I want you to uh, eat and eat, eat in both physical and spiritual ways." And he gave an incentive. The incentive is that eating is fun. That's all there is to it. It's just pleasurable. And particularly if you are not at the gross overeating stage, but you actually are pretty hungry, if you haven't eaten for six or seven hours, sitting down to a steak and fries, well, all right, that's my own personal taste, but uh, whatever yours is, all right, whatever yours is, a salad, if you like, (laughs) whatever, but whatever it is, eating is fun, and God didn't have to do that, right? could have just said that hey you know here are these little tablets they're completely tasteless watch out you better take two of those a day otherwise you will die that's all there is to no he didn't do that he said hey look at this look at this food you know how beautiful a ripe peach looks all right i mean if you just think take a look at a lovely yellow ripe banana in like the finest packaging that any packaging specialist could devise. What a brilliant thing is the banana peel! <laughs> it's a delightful food altogether. And so it is, you know. Whatever is your food choice, it not only tastes good, it even looks good. You're going to be enjoying obeying that commandment. Now, you've got to learn about how to eat spiritually, so you don't overeat. But we cover that elsewhere. Now um how about when we get to um uh, be fruitful and multiply okay well be fruitful and multiply that that, that actually came first uh, be fruitful and multiply again the hebrew is pru uravu and guess what God doesn't say, hey, here is the mechanical process I need you to go through, because if you don't, it'll mean the uh, the end of the species, and you don't want that to happen, do you? I mean, after all, you would like another generation, because think about it for just a moment. If we were purely biological creatures, and a genie popped out of the bottle and said, by the way, sorry to, uh, to tell you this, but uh, you are... And everyone else alive at the moment are the last generation that will live on Earth. Nobody else going to be born. This is it. And when the last person currently on Earth today dies, that's it. No more human beings. If you and I were just biological entities, that information we just got from the genie wouldn't really matter that much. I mean, how would it matter to you that, uh, that there are going to be no more people? Why, why, why is that a problem to you, as long as you are able to uh, live your life? But because we're spiritual creatures, we actually have a need to know that, that we are part of an ongoing story. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that totalitarian governments, whether they're Cuban or whether they're Russian uh, or whether they are 21st century American, always try and arrange for the destruction of statues destroy the statue so as you can disconnect the people from their past and you'll then deal with the future but if you can isolate people you can control them more easily and this is one of the reasons that uh, we work so hard to keep our children connected to their parents and to their grandparents and that there's a family tradition and there's family stories and family history because it's really important for us much more important than we're taught at any gig. no government indoctrination center ever teaches children says by the way one day you're going to realize how important it is for you to have your own children and for you to know that the story goes on and for you to know what the values are of the country into which you were born right schools don't do that public schools don't do that anymore but uh god might have said hey listen you better go through this mechanical process every few years with your spouse in order to make sure that you're not the last generation because you won't like that god didn't do that he turned it into an irresistible delight an almost irresistible delight i mean obviously people need to exert control right we, we expect that but you get the point point. and so in in both these cases God wants there to be reproduction and he wants there to be connection between a husband and a wife. And so he makes it pleasurable. God wants us to eat and to be able to be sustained and nourished. He makes it pleasurable. He incentivizes us. Similarly, when God gives a negative commandment, he disincentivizes as well. And he says, not good for you to be alone. And if you don't listen to me, if you remain insulated and isolated why you're going to have a pretty rough life and i wonder if any of you already see where this little journey is taking us you see god wants us to connect and in the same way he incentivized us to eat and he incentivized us to engage in intimacy similarly he disincentivizes us to stay alone and isolated how does he do that (laughs) well you're gonna be shocked but i'm gonna tell it to you anyways you see this uh, genesis chapter 2 verse 18 it's the very first time that god wags his finger at us as it were saying i do not want you human beings to do this what is the this he doesn't want us to do remain alone and isolated okay how does he disincentivize us how does he make it painful for us to remain disconnected it's easy number one he makes us suffer from poverty yes wealth abundant financial wealth is a huge blessing and poverty is very painful And it's not a case of saying, well, how can a good and loving God let so many people be poor? And (laughs) the reason is because they're not following the pattern. And here is a fairly important thing that I have to tell you. Um, Maybe I should have even told you this before, but please hang on every word over here for just a moment. And that is that in the lord's language in hebrew you can very easily tell whether a speaker is addressing one person or a crowd because the words are different in hebrew when you address one person or when you address a crowd but in english it isn't exactly the same in english if i might say Please do not do that. And you have no idea if I'm speaking to one person or ten people. But in Hebrew, you would know instantly. And so it is that there are many, many rules throughout the Bible, which, if you read the English translation, sound as if they're being addressed to an individual. Yes you, John, and you, Jennifer, this is what you must do. But no, it isn't. It's, it's towards a group, a society, a people. That's how it's being addressed. And it's really important to understand that very clearly. Uh, yeah, for instance, let's look, at, uh, let's look at Leviticus, Book of Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 3. If you follow my laws faithfully... And observe my commandments. Who's God speaking to here? You and me, or our entire community, our entire society? You can't tell in the English. If you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, I will grant you your rains in their seasons, so the earth shall yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit. Who's the you? I will grant your reigns in this. Is that you personally? No. Everything I'm, I'm reading here is to the plurality. It's to everybody. It's to a big crowd. It's to your entire society. This is very important to understand because what it means is that no matter how virtuous I may be, if I choose or even if I'm forced to live in a society of bad folks I will suffer the same consequences as them. That is a reality. And it's a really important, this is an underlying principle in ancient Jewish wisdom. This is as clear as could be. And that is that you sink or swim with your neighbors. There isn't such a thing as being alone because God said, not good for man to be alone. That's not an option. So here we got chapter 26, verse 3, 4, 5. All of these things where God's saying, if you follow the pattern of living, if you build a civilization on the values found in this book, you're going to have a successful economy which the bible describes as rain at the right time not that it floods anything but it comes correctly to nurture the earth and the earth's going to yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit and what's more your uh, your wheat and your wine and everything it's you're going to have plenty bread you're going to eat your bread to to abundance that's verse 5 and what's more because you will be a strong economic society you will be able to defend defend yourselves i will grant peace in the land and you will go down you will go to bed at night untroubled by anybody you will have no worries but it's all in the plural when you all lie down at night to go to sleep it'll be without worries um, that's the really important thing and if we, if we don't understand that then then we miss everything Uh, I know it's rough, right? You might say, well, God should treat each one of us as individuals, but that's not what he says. And he made the rules. And so, (laughs) you know, this is like me as a new immigrant to the United States learning to or somebody was they were trying to teach me to play baseball. Well, I I mean, I knew cricket. I certainly didn't know baseball. And I was and I finally realized that there was no point in me shaking a defiant fist at the umpire. I, I had two choices learn the rules of the game and play with them, or don't play, go somewhere else. And it's like that in life as well. Here are the rules. You know, you can play or not. You want to shake a defiant fist at the deity, you know, go for it, break a leg. But it's not going to get you anywhere. It's much better to know the rules of the game and then play along. Well, one of the rules of the game is that we are not isolated individuals, and that when we connect with good, like-minded people, we do well. When we don't, we don't. And sure enough, verse 14 in Leviticus 26. By the way, you'll love this in the New Bible. I mean, you, First of all, you'll like the translation. And uh, secondly, you'll be able to really see how this is laid out. Because there's a very clear paragraph break between verse 13 and verse 14. And you'll see why right away. And again, this this is not shown in most Bibles. Um, If you look at verse 14, okay. And if you do not obey me, well, who's the you? If you do not obey me, who's the you? You, Harry? You, Henrietta? Right? You, Ebony? You, Tom? No. It's all of you together. It's your society. It's your group. And if you do not listen to me, And you do not observe these commandments, you know, both the yes ones and the no ones. And if you reject my laws, all of you I'm talking to, not just one of you, all of you together. And this is not clear from the English, because the English says, if you reject my laws and spurn my rules so that you do not observe all my commandments and you break my covenant. Yeah, you might think it's just talking to you as an individual, but it's not. It's the plural. Do you see what I'm saying? So, I'm sure you do. It's, it's a really, really important point. Why is it so important? Because God is saying, I don't want you to live alone. I want you to become connected with one another. And if you do that right, well, then you're going to be rewarded with all the good things. But guess what? If you don't, things are going to be bad. Well, what do, I, what do I mean? Let me explain um in um let's see it was december 2003 in december 2003 and it was on december the 22nd there was an earthquake in central california it was called the paso roble's earthquake and um it was in the san simeon area and um there it was a, 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 a severity, an earthquake rating of 6.6 on the Richter scale, and um, it killed two people. They, there was one building where some masonry fell off the roof, and it fell, I think, on two ladies. Funnily enough, not funny, but uh, four days later, in Iran, in a town called Bam, B-A-M, i'm sure it's spelled differently in arabic or in persian in a town called bam there was a big earthquake do you know what its richter size was 6.6 in other words my friend this serves us with a very good measure of two societies that could hardly be more different from one another struck with exactly the same level of meteorological calamity and what happens well 34,000 people died in BAM. What was the, the earthquake um, severity there? 6.6, just like the one in, in San Simeon, California. Both 6.6. Two people died in California, 34,000 died in BAM, and another 200,000 injured. It was a huge disaster. What's the, the difference? The difference is that in the Quran there is very much an acceptance of things as the will of Allah. Whereas in Judeo-Christian principles, in in a biblical worldview, there is very much a, a case of God expecting us to work with him in improving the world, work with him in order to make the world safer and more secure and easier and healthier and better. And so housing rules, the way we build, and the life-saving techniques and all these are part of american culture it came from the bible a culture that was rooted in the quran like the one in bam they didn't have those principles and so people were crushed people died uh, people were left homeless people were injured people died from hunger and thirst afterwards different culture and so in the bible god is saying hey If you connect with one another properly caringly the way I lay it out in this book guess what earthquakes are not going to be that big a problem for you but if you don't if you follow another pattern (laughs) well don't blame me how's about dealing with disease well it costs a lot of money to do the research necessary in order to find a cure for a disease it's not easy where is that more likely to happen? In societies that follow the biblical rules of connectivity and cooperation and uh, collaboration and creation or in other communities? Obviously, in civilization built on the Bible, for hundreds of years already, there's been very serious medical research How come no medical research to speak of in the Arabic world? Why is it that to this day you can drive through villages under Islamic rule and you'll see the flies crawling over the faces of little children? Why? Why? Because it's a different culture. And God says, hey, you can do it your way, in which case don't blame me if flies bring disease to little kids who die it's sad i really wish you wouldn't do that and i've given you every principle and every rule and every instruction of how to avoid it but i'm also going to disincentivize you from doing the wrong thing by the way like any good parent does we incentivize our children to obey us and we also teach them consequences right many people in child raising prefer the word consequence to punishment right I told you not to do this. Now, here's the consequence. You did it. That's God's approach. Hey, there are consequences here. Um, To build a functioning economy, which is a good thing. It's a huge blessing. God says it comes about through connection. And it's not an accident that the greatest engine of financial prosperity in the history of the world, namely the United States of America, they did this. Right, in the 19th century, they built railroads across the country. In 1844, the electric telegraph was invented by Samuel Morse. Do you know that in a few short years, the entire country was crisscrossed with telegraph wires? We are obeying God's word to make connection. And I'm not saying that every engineer who worked on the Internet was paying attention to genesis chapter 2 verse 18 but i am saying he was born and raised within a culture that saw value in connectivity and so sure enough under president eisenhower the interstate system uh television radio telephone a lot of investment into building connection right? other countries didn't do this it didn't happen. In um, December 2004, a dreadful tsunami struck in many parts of Asia, wiping out hundreds of thousands of people. You know, there were several hours of warning. In other words, they knew this was coming because it hit earlier in other places. So why didn't they ring the warning sirens telling everybody? Why weren't there civil defense exercises telling people when the sirens ring all make for higher ground? Or at the very least, folks, when you see your dogs and cats and cows and elephants running for higher ground, follow them. Animals seem to know when something's happening. No, nothing like that at all. I'm told that in many of the places that were hit so devastatingly by the uh, the tsunami in 2000 end of 2004, they still haven't installed sirens. And so when bad storms come to that part of the world, many, many people die. Storms of exactly the same ferocity come to the east coast of the United States of America and virtually nobody dies it's a very simple thing it's sad but it's simple do you care about human life if you are part of a judeo-christian bible-based culture you do and if you're not it's allah's will you just it's just how it is it's a different way of looking at things right no judeo-christian biblical devotee would say oh well you know it's too bad about all these these kids dying uh, it's god's will obviously And they never do that people would stop and do whatever they can to help and people go nuts to try and help it, you know, it's good it's wonderful but it isn't like that everywhere um, so in order to build a, a, an economy where there's money and that people have the uh, facilities of life such as medical research and such as ambulances and hospitals and where uh, there are facilities available so people don't have to go hungry right how do you do that well you have to have a vibrant effective economy and in order to do that and you need these things number one you need a lot of people you've got to have a, a population and a growing population and um and this is sort of pretty basic right you don't need an advanced degree in economics to understand that it's one of the reasons that uh, money is more made in cities than in isolated remote and rural areas many people is rule number one now uh, angela merkel of uh, germany understood this also and since germany's fertility rate was dropping dramatically One of the solutions she came up with was, why don't we import a few hundred thousand Muslim men from the Middle East and from North Africa? Well, I'm afraid that brings us to the second thing you need. You need people who are all part of a similar moral system, because otherwise you don't have the third thing needed, which is connection. So you need technical connection, but you also need spiritual connection that there should be trust. Just the fact that I can speak to somebody on a phone doesn't mean I trust him. But if I speak to somebody on the phone and um, he and I have the same friends and his reputation precedes him that he has the same values as I do, I'm really happy to do business with him because I see that there's a similar value system. So in order for a viable economy to be able to produce abundance for everybody, You've got to have lots of people. You've got to have the basics of connectivity, roads, telephones, internet, railways, airplane connections. Number three, you've got to have a mutual system of trust because otherwise even money doesn't work. Uh, the next thing you need is you have to have an agreed-upon philosophy of being able to conquer the earth. When I say conquer, you shouldn't think you heard me say destroy or plunder. I said conquer in exactly the same way that Germany conquered Czechoslovakia. They didn't destroy Czechoslovakia. They didn't destroy all the many industrial factories that Czechoslovakia had developed in the 1920s and 1930s. They conquered Czechoslovakia, but they redirected the output to Nazi Germany. You know, if and when, I shouldn't say if, when China conquers Taiwan, I don't believe there'll be any destruction. It'll be a conquering. So that that Taiwan's many resources will be redirected to China. That's what conquering means. And so when in the um, sixth day of creation, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this particular point because I do cover it very fully in the Scrolling Through Scripture course uh, on our website. But um, where God says, uh, be fruitful and multiply and, uh, and it says conquer, conquer the land. What does that mean? It means being willing To turn marshes into villages and to build factories and skyscrapers and to turn swamps into cities. You've got to be willing to do that because if you reject this biblical pattern, then I know what you're going to be doing. You are going to start glorifying nature. That's what's going to happen and you're going to become a nature-worshipping society. And a nature-worshipping society won't believe that you're able to eat meat. They won't believe that you should save the lives of little children by doing medical research on rabbits or monkeys. If necessary, if it's not necessary, it's not necessary, obviously, but if necessary. Uh, They won't believe that it is necessary and desirable to build dams so that everybody can have clean water. That's what God is talking about here. And so, I I, uh, am not going to go very much further into this, but I I would recommend that, um, if necessary, please listen to it another time, so that you can give your mind a chance to wrap itself around these concepts and these principles. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Surely, if there's evil and he allows it to happen, he can't be good. And if there's evil and he doesn't allow it to happen, but there's evil anyway, how can he be powerful? <laughs> you see now why I said that this is not a, an earth-shattering theological conundrum. <laughs> this is not a profound philosophical question. It's very simple. God says, I don't want you to be alone. I want you to be connected with one another. I want you to connect to one another uh, within a uh, a unified and common accepted moral system. Um, It has to address financial uh, moral conformity and it has to address sexual moral conformity, right? The Old Testament is very strong on both those factors, which um, is again... What we've been talking about, and so God says, "Look, um, you can all have a wonderful life, but you're going to have to work together along the lines I lay out in this instruction manual. And if you don't, I'm sorry, but little kids are going to die of diseases. And if you don't, there are going to be people who perish from poverty. And if you don't, there again, there's going to be a limited amount of medical research." And if you don't, there are going to be people who die when buildings collapse. All of these things can be avoided and averted if you all work together, if you all communicate and connect and collaborate and create within a a commonly accepted moral framework of financial and sexual principles and values, you're going to have a great society. It'll be terrific. But I warn you, if you don't, you won't. Of course, God is good. What parent who educates a child carefully and diligently isn't good? And of course, God is all powerful. (laughs) I mean, just look around you. But he's a God who lays this all out very clearly. He's a God who keeps his word, which is what parents should do as well. Please remember that. If you tell your child, if you disobey me on this, here is what the consequence will be. Please, for your own sanity and for your child's future, don't break your word. Even if it means you're not able to have fun as you planned. And that's what God does. He keeps his word. He could not be more clear that bad things happen if you don't follow the system. Just look at chapter 26 of the book of Leviticus, it's as clear as could be bunch of bad things, but it's not you individually. It's you as a group. So, even if you as an individual are the most pious and virtuous person imaginable, but you're in a society where there is a decrepit immorality, then, uh, sad to say, you are part of it as well. And that, my friends, is uh, exactly how it works. We're at the end of uh, what is a reasonable amount of time for the show. And so uh, I, I hope that this is helpful to you. I, I, I think it is. I have explained this to, to many, many, many different groups of people. And, uh, and they've all found it to be um, an a, a eye-opening really a blinding beacon of incandescence and um, on this this dark question of oh if god is good and powerful how can there be evil in the world it's really not a big problem god explains very clearly i i don't want people to live alone and isolated you got to all be together and if you live together according to these rules that I lay out you can have a great society it's going to be terrific but um if you don't it won't and you can trust me he says to keep my word. That's how it works. My friends, the um, the website I want you to look at is uh, rabbidaniellappin.com for your new Rabbi Daniel Lappin Bible that's back in stock. And uh, you might be interested in looking at the uh, Scrolling Through Scripture program where I go into these questions literally verse by verse word by word i mean i take 10 hours to get just through the first 34 verses of genesis that's right 10 hours (laughs) that is 600 minutes of teaching uh, just for the first 34 verses the speed picks up a little after that but it's just that so many of the foundational principles of faith and understanding god and being able to talk to him all of that laid down in the first unit of scrolling through scripture so all of that is at um, rabbi daniel and um, in order to uh, be able to communicate with us and connect with everyone else on the wehappywarriors.com website head over there and you might want to try a free trial on to become a uh, a Happy Warrior member and that's the website wehappywarriors.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. I love hearing from you all. I, I, I really, really do and many of you have discovered that uh, even if it takes me a little while to get to it, I try and answer as many of you as I possibly can. And uh, so with a great deal of appreciation to you all for listening and for helping to promote the show, which you've been doing such a fabulous job on, much appreciated. With love and humility, I wish you a fantastic week connecting with God. Yes, that's right. With your faith, with your families, with your finances, with your friendships, and sometimes hardest of all with your fitness. But learning to eat, both physically and spiritually, will go a long way on that. Have a great week, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lapin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network.